Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky Show. We're here with Building the Revolution. Um, his name is Anonymous, but his name's Mike. <laughs> and we're here to learn about him and his mission with Building the Revolution and promoting surf shops and keeping the uh, surfing heritage alive. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me. Mike Blank. Mike Blank. <laughs> I told Mike you. Valley. I'm like Valley. I'm like I'm like Cher or Ellen or any of those great people. I'm just Mike. Or Prince. Or Prince. Or, we love it. Yeah. I'll have a symbol soon and I'll <laughs> stop going by Mike. Just to, oh, actually, I have a symbol. You have a it's symbol. the Building the Revolution symbol. There you go. So before we jump into Building the Revolution, let's talk about Mike, the surf grom, and and all the steps that led you to the path that you are today. Cool, cool. Yeah, uh, growing up surfing was was awesome. I had a, you know, I grew up in Rossmore, which is five miles in from Seal Beach, just up Seal Beach. Inlander. Just well, tech. You want to know? It's, <laughs> <laughs> I know that's that's what, that's what I that's what I would say after I moved to the beach. Yeah. I was like Rossmore is so far, and it's just five miles up Seal Beach Boulevard. Yeah. But technically, Rossmore Shopping Center is in Seal Beach, yeah. so I technically live across the street from Seal Beach. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, don't get Lyndon started on where he grew up because he had to ride two and a half miles or two and a half hours back and back and forth. Wow. Yeah. Talking wow. about inland Deep Coop. Long Beach. That's commitment. Yeah. That's pretty commitment. much like, in the hood. Dominguez? No. Long Beach. Uh, North just Long on Beach? The, yeah. North Long Beach on the border of Compton. Yeah, see, I was actually born <laughs> in uh, uh, right where the 710 and the 405 meet, right yeah. over by North Long Beach, Dominguez. But nice. at age two, my parents moved to Rossmore. Yeah. And... When I was in set, I had a great block of kids, probably about 10 kids lived on my block. And one of the older kids, uh, Matt Wignall, I don't know if you guys know him or not, but he's done a lot Sounds of photography. Did a lot of photography for Volcom. Okay. Uh, he's in a band right now called War Girl Band. Um, he's been in the music scene, photography scene, uh, surfed in one of his, uh, he got into surfing when I was in second grade and introduced me to surfing. So okay. his parents were super Second cool. grade. Second grade. His nice. parents would load us up in their VW bus and we'd go down to Seal Beach and uh, it's funny. Pure or warm water? Both. Just depends Both. on Both, yeah. At that time of year as a Grom, I remember surfing the middle of the beach. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, uh, Matt Wignall sent me a video of us, a Super 8 video that he edited together. And it's early, early days where I'm standing up goofy-footed, which is funny because I'm regular-footed. So wow. it was so early that I didn't even know how to stand up. you got to send us that to promote uh, this video. Yeah, I'll have to find Well, it's mainly podcast. videos of Matt, but it's pretty funny. And I think it was actually on the first surfboard I ever bought, which was off of Remy Stratton, who lived down the street from me. Remy bought, grew up in, in yeah. Rossmore, too? Yeah, right wow. down the street from me. Um, I bought a Jack's kneeboard off him for $10. <laughs> a single-fin Jack's kneeboard, uh, which at my size was a surfboard right and I have videos of me uh, surfing that so luckily you know I had Matt Wignall on my block and he got me into surfing and uh, uh, just kind of you know the older kid on the block you always look up to so I kind of really carved my path an interesting path of 
surfing, you know, yeah. at your everyday. So surfing. was was uh, Remy into skateboarding way back then too? So when, yeah, so uh, Remy's older than me. Funny thing about Remy is when I was in kindergarten, Remy was in fifth grade and he was my husky buddy uh, at Hopkinson Elementary School. You have a fifth grader that hangs out the kindergartner. And then as I got a little bit older and started skateboarding, Remy was the local pro, or actually he was AM at the time, but he was riding, I think for, maybe he was riding for Blockhead. Mm. And he would wheel his ramp up to Rush School, which is now a park, and we'd have these launch ramp sessions. And Launch ramps were so in oh, back dude. then. That was everything. Yeah, and Remy would take all of us kids under his wings and, you know, teach us stuff. I remember trying to frontside board slide uh, a bench and him telling me I was going to hurt myself, but I had to learn how to backside board slide first. And me just being so frustrated but realizing he was right so yeah another good story about Remy is he sold me a uh, he sold me this 12 foot longboard and uh, I should have been smarter this is when I was in high school it had a balsa stringer you can't see my hands but a balsa stringer that was a uh, about a foot across wow and a logo down at the bottom that said Greg Greg Knoll no way I bought it for ten dollars and I used to write everything I bought everything. I bought surfboards off Remy for ten dollars apparently um, and I used to ride that in Seal Beach River Jetty with a buddy of mine. And, and as I got older, I needed beer money. And I, I took it to Glenn at Caton and said, Glenn, can you sell this board for me? And he's like, Mikey, uh, you're not going to get much for this. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> yeah, he's what a like, bastard. He, he still has it. No, he sold it for 20 bucks. That's oh it? Oh, my God. That guy came back uh, about a year later. You guys may remember uh, Dana Gibson that worked at Caton Shop. And he goes, right. Mike, that, some guy came in and he said he brought a Greg Knoll board that was yours. And he just sold it for 200 and a couple of years later, a guy came back and said, hey, I bought a board off a guy who bought it from here. It was a Decat. Decat. Wow. A Greg Knoll Decat, which oh was, a, at the time, I think it was worth like two grand. That's Mickey Dora, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I had one that I bought off Remy. So for 10 to 20 to 200 now like to two, two grand. grand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had, so I wish I saw that Jack's knee uh, board. So that's how I got into surfing. And then, uh, you know, I think by about fourth grade, I moved down the beach. Um couple of beaches over and I remember it's fourth grade because I was wearing a Gumby t-shirt it was before I had a wetsuit I was wearing Gordon Smith shorts and a Gumby t-shirt and uh, I'd go surf Sunset Beach and yeah. you know just never looked back after okay. that that's kind of uh, my high school stomping grounds was Anderson Street yeah I've seen you out there a couple times yeah yeah super fun we call it uh, Andonesia Andonesia that left <laughs> oh my gosh. that left can be good the sandbars have been yeah. bad for a couple of years and they'll probably never ever get good again yeah. so yeah. you know just keep on driving it's, a <laughs> it's the backwash ah that backwash is killer yeah. but uh there's yeah. a couple spots in there that are we won't say because we'll piss people off but it's pretty damn good i think you mean more down by warner yeah yeah, yeah. stay away stay away from warner um bolsa gets really good too bolsa but oh, uh dude. yeah so that was my introduction to surfing and and uh you know Growing up in the, with some of those Seal Beach guys, was never really part of the Seal Beach scene. Yeah, that was. But they were all my friends. That's cool. You know, because they could be kind of prickly. <laughs> what was without naming names? It was, it was funny though when all the guys were riding for Harbor or in flight, and and I love the guys at Harbor. I love yeah. the guys at in flight. I found a home at Caton. Yeah, that's and cool. at, at fourteen, um, I remember I was fourteen. I remember I was surfing again. Dana Gibson was paddling out. Never surfed with Dana before. And as he was paddling out, I pulled my first frontside air. And I pulled it as if I'd been doing it my whole entire life. Wow. Because I didn't mean to do it. Yeah. I just meant to do a turn and something hit me, threw you me there. You stomped it. You're like, what now? The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. 
crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. How old were you? Uh, I think I was like 14. And uh, sure enough, um, at the time, Craig Gonzalez from Interface Reports was doing the team. Yeah. I got a phone call. It was like the biggest night of my life. The wow. phone rings. Hey, Mike, this is Craig from Interface. Hey, what's up, Craig? Uh, I wanted to see if you wanted to ride for the Caton shop and, and ride for Interface surfboards. And I was like, freaking out. <laughs> but I was like, yeah. Let's go back to that. Totally. Era. So when did, when you landed it and you knew somebody was there. Oh, my gosh. Did you, did you make eye contact with the guy or did you like, did you claim it? Like, what was the... I paddled, yeah. I paddled back out and, and Dana looks at me and goes, well, let's just start calling you Fletcher. And I, I, even, <laughs> even, of, even right now, the, and I had the hair back then the too, even right now I'm, I'm feeling giddy. I remember that air and um, a little bit of, I, I would say, of, of your history. I remember it, well, just because I was riding a Pesh. I remember you were a Pesh yeah, forever. Pesh. I was riding a Pesh that I bought used out of Caden. It had black rails on it. I remember that day as if it was yesterday. That's so awesome. Yeah. Nice. Lennon's still trying to do an air. I've he's, never, he's, I don't think I've ever done an air. I've on done a reverse once. Yeah. Once, but I don't think I was really trying. It just happened. <laughs> I, was, I was talking to Gordo yesterday uh, from Gordon Surf Shop in New Jersey. Yeah. And we were talking about surfing and progression. And I, I said, you know what? At the age I'm at, I feel like I'm surfing better than I ever have because of my wave knowledge and yeah. What I'm looking at, everything is better except my air game. <laughs> and then I, I jokingly said, you know, they say no pain, no gain. I guess I won't be gaining anything. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like pain yeah, anymore. Yeah, stick to what you know. If it's all real in the water, it's all good. It's, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's still popular today. But so so you rode for Caton. Caton Surf Shop and Interface. And which that was, was your a, first ever sponsor. My, that was a first sponsor and introduction to the surf industry. And that was a, a great time because... You know, as I got a little bit older, I think my junior year, so a year or two later, Troy Tecklenburg got on the team. Yeah. And uh, Troy. whatever yeah. happened to that guy? We saw him. I saw a sighting of him last summer. Oh, was, really? Yeah. I think Surfing. he's still... HP, Northside. Yeah. Oh, he was... Yeah. I, I looked him up on social media, and I saw that he shaped a couple boards for himself. Hmm. Looked like he was getting in the water, and then his account just went ghost. And, you know, nowadays, if you want to know something about somebody, you look online, and I couldn't find anything on him. I was just asking the guys at the Caden shop the other day... If they'd heard about him, but yeah, you know, talk about a natural talent that could rip. Yeah, and then just, yeah, yeah. It's it it's funny, uh, just talking about going back to you and how you got sponsored without surfing contests. 
Yeah. Right? You basically got sponsored on the spot because you did a, a good air in front of the guy that worked at Caden. Yeah. And yeah. It, I mean, it, it was yeah right place at right time. And, yeah. Because uh, that doesn't, you know, same thing with Timmy Reyes. He uh, was ripping. He yeah. was ripping and and uh, a shop called Green Room. The guys that worked there had seen him and, and pulled him off the street and said, hey, you should ride for us. So yeah, it's funny because most people have to, you know, surf contests and yeah, put on your resume, yeah. you know, the, the team, team, not sponsor me tapes. But yeah. Like. But you had your photos. Team manager photos yeah. and your competition results. Yeah, yeah. Funny thing about Timmy, and I don't know if he'll remember this, but he, you know, he rode for Caton for a little yeah. while too. And I remember we'd have these team workouts, and we had one at, um, oh gosh, where was it? 7th Street around there? 9th Street. And I can't remember who drove him because he was too young to drive. I think he was riding Dean Cleary and Caton. Yes, that's it. And uh, someone left their keys to the car. He must have been like 14 and he just jumped in the car, turned on the engine, and started driving it forward. We were standing there watching him, but we were just dying. But back then, I mean, super grom, super grom, little ripper, and it was funny back then. Uh, those were that was a golden age of surfing. I, I mean, it's all still a golden age, but you know those those salad days of being a grom that you, yeah, you remember them forever. You know, yeah. So at fourteen, you're doing airs, you're ripping, you're getting sponsored. When did you start doing amateur contests? Because usually around that age is when people yeah. kind of get into it. So I think right around that same time, I was like, oh, I, I should probably I should probably do a couple contests. So, you know, like most Groms, I did the CCSAs in the yeah. local area. Um, and then I remember uh, Craig being like, hey, you know, if you really want to do this, one, you need to go surf lowers in the afternoon, you man. Have swiggles, shoot your photo, go left. And I was like, okay, I better, I better go to lowers more. And two, you need to do the NSSA. So... Um, I would do the NSSA. I was never really a good competitive surfer. Mm-hmm. I have great moments and bad moments. And then you have those guys that just consistently kill it. You know, I think the best I ever did was like fifth in the West Coast Championships. And I think that was the pretty s- respectable. I think that was the same year. And that was only in the Explorer. It wasn't yeah. in the Open. I think that was the same year that I, that Caton paid for me to go to Nationals. Or not go, but that the $100 or whatever. Whatever it was. Expensive. And, uh... I remember the swell was pumping mm. and I, I surfed the day before it was firing next day I, I went down with a buddy of mine to go surf uh, nationals Oceanside back then or no, lowers lowers yeah I think this was the I think this was the year Andy or Bruce won and uh, you know obviously the the open not the, not the, the lame one I was doing <laughs> but uh, I remember I was talking to this kid in the water my buddy goes in he goes I'm gonna go find out what time our heats are at I said alright and then this this guy, I can't remember his name. He was a local kid from, from here in Huntington. And he paddles out. And he's like, Mike, dude, how are you? I'm like, great. He's like, ah, oh, where'd you surf yesterday? I said, oh, I surfed here. It was so good. What about you? He goes, I surfed my heat yesterday, the one you were supposed to be in. Oh, no. I look up on the beach, and I see my buddy who was checking heat times waving me down. I realize that nobody can see me. He's waving. Come in. Oh. I go in. He goes, our heat was yesterday. Oh, my. So... We served, had fun until the contest started. I drove back to Caton, and I had to tell Glenn. Here's a uh, hundred dollars. Yeah. Back someday. Hey, sorry, my heat was yesterday, and I think, I think that was pretty close to the end of my surf career. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I did, as I got older. I remember at like age 25 or 23, I did a couple men's events, and uh, that was fun. And then, you know, you know, we'll get into other stuff later. I traveled a little bit, came back, and. I think I did one more. I signed up for the NSSA. I said, I'm just going to do these for fun. 
I signed up, I paddled out at a Northside contest. Current was just ripping to, to the gap. Caught one left, tried to fight the current for like 10 minutes, then ran up the beach, ran back out, the heat was over, and I was like, I'm done. Yeah. I don't want to compete. I'm Surf- not. Surfing contest sucks, man. Yeah. And I, at the same time, I was like, I don't have a surf career. I'm in my early 20s. But there was a shift in surfing. Maybe you guys can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Or I felt like, you know, I think we're all in the same age. When we were growing up, there was a pattern. Like you said, you did contests. Yeah. You, you know, I don't know what you did. The Bud Pro Tour. You did the Pro Tour. And then probably around age like 25, like, I don't know how old Damian Harden was. But, you know, like those guys, they were the pros. Tom Curran, they were older than I was. At our age... We were doing that pattern, and then all of a sudden, this thing called the poster child showed up. And yeah. I remember thinking, like, I've been putting in my time, and Troy Tecklenburg, are you, you kidding me? Granted, he ripped, yeah. but it was all about having this poster child, yeah. and, and the, the shift of the path of a professional surfer changed. You, like, you know, like yeah. Archie changed it. You could be a photo guy now, yeah. Yeah. you know? And, and I felt like our generation was in the middle of that shift. Yeah, yeah. no, for sure. Competition I mean, kind of ruled, kind of dictated if you were going to be a professional surfer yeah. or, or not. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, there w- there got to be that time where comp- competitive surfing didn't mean as much, and it was all about the trips that, you know, pro surfers got to do, and they became free surfers. Yeah. Um, I mean, even late night Larson here. Yeah. He was pretty much video and Yeah, I think, well, I think that turning point that you're speaking of is when, you know, the the video camera camcorder kind of came into play mm-hmm. and people started making surf movies outside of the, the big brands like the the one, you know, Quicksilver would put out a movie a year and, you know, Rip Curl or, or Billabong. And outside of that, there wasn't really any content that, yeah. you know, right. on the video side that would expose a lot of surfers, the younger generations, whatever. And yeah, I think it was probably, yeah, the early 90s is when, you know, that, you know, momentum, you know, Taylor yeah. Steele yeah. and then... You know, it's a trip because, it, like, your generation was right after, like, Bud Pro Tour. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then it, it all kind of transitioned into videos by Josh Palmer or yeah. um, Taylor Steele. Yeah. Or, or the Snapping Turtle guys. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was around the same time, too, though, where, you know, going back to Craig at Interface, he was with me for so long. He was like, you got to decide what kind of surfer you want to be. And I was like... I think I'm probably better off on the industry side. I'm not that good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I surf well, but not the level of a professional surfer. Yeah. Like, when I just enjoy surfing, and, and as I was joking around with a, another friend of mine who uh, I surf with all the time, and uh, he works in the industry, and I was, I was saying, gosh, we, we surf as much as professional surfers, and he looks at me and goes, yeah, but we probably get paid more. <laughs> you know, in this day and age, it could be true. It could be true. I mean, yeah, you look at the surf team rosters on any brand, you know, the big guys, the little, and there's not that many on there anymore. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's gonna, it's in an age where it's really top heavy in a lot of brands, and then there's no metal or regional guys as much so look at the bells contest a lot of logoless noses yeah for yeah. right now that, that's been a trip like yeah. i don't know that reef hazelton guy you well know, he just got picked up by, by Hurley, Hurley, which is awesome which but, is awesome because he kind of blew up right at the perfect timing at the last contest yeah. and then what's his name michael rodriguez right he has yeah no yeah logos. he was the guy i saw the yeah. heat the other day and 
look like a brand new whiteboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, let's go back to what we were talking about earlier. Uh, Craig, Interface Surfboards. It w- who wrote for him? It was you? At the time, it was me, uh, Troy Tecklenburg. Um, oh, gosh. Bill Auer. But was Josh Bill Auer? I feel so bad about this. Uh, <laughs> there's two Bill Auers. Who is the one that got paralyzed? Jesse. 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 So it was Josh Bellauer. Okay. His brother. Wow. And he was, man, in the early 90s, he was all about going and surfing big waves and tackling that stuff. Um, and then, you know, some some local guys. Uh, yeah. God, there was this guy. What was his name? Was it Chris Hobson? Oh, A Andy big, Hobson. Andy Hobson. Yeah. Oh, was riding little... Interface. Yeah. And his buddy, his buddy is the one that saw me at Lowers and told me I missed my heat. Uh, I can't remember his name. And then just some more local cats, you yeah. know. Um, but Curran wrote it for a second, right? Can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, he was. <laughs> oh yeah, that guy Tom Curran. Yeah, not even Joe. Tom Curran. Tom. Yeah, uh, Tom Curran was getting boards from and he, Craig at and Interface. And he wrote it in, in the contest. contest in California at the U.S. Open. Yeah, there's pictures. And he of made him. it through heats too. Yeah, him and him and Craig were working together for a while. On How boards. did that? I mean, not to take any shine off. Your our conversation. Well, we're talking about Tom Curran. He's going to shine on anybody. How did that happen? How the hell did I can't somebody remember. like Craig at Interface Boards? Not to not to say that he's nobody, but in the grand scheme of Tom Curran's life, I don't oh my know. God. It, it might have been Barry Marmion because okay. Barry Marmion was friends with Tom Curran, and, and Barry is also friends with Craig. Okay. He was writing. Uh, they linked the two together. Maybe. Yeah, that could have been what it was. It might have been Barry. Yeah. Because um, uh, you know how you watch old YouTube clips. Yeah. And. I stumbled on on a video and it showed Curran and I'm like, what the hell is he riding? And I look at the logo and I see that distinctive interface logo. I'm like, oh, that's right. He wrote many, a freaking yeah. interface board. How many shapers do you think actually shape boards just hoping to run across them or see them at an event? Tom One Curran, in a million. Yeah. One in a million. Like, hey, here, here's a board. Will you just take it? Well, I, think, I think a lot more oh, than we know. I know, but to be able to... To say that Tom Curran liked it and wrote oh, it. Oh, for sure. They, they were yeah. working on on a special model for Tom I for bet. a while, which was, uh, but I guess, you know, I don't know what happened. I think that relationship was a year or so, and, and it fell apart. Another notable guy that rode for Interface 2 was Hamish Campbell. He was riding himself? Uh, I don't know if he's shaping now, but he was living here, Australian cat that was yeah, living yeah. here, moved back to Australia, what, 20 years ago? Yeah. yeah. Hamish he, Campbell rode for a rip curl. Rip curl or rusty? Rip curl. Rip he curl. rode for Interface in his uh, early 20s. You're if it's the same me. Hamish. Yeah, he moved, lived here for a little bit and then moved back to Australia. But there was a, a shaper, Hamish, I think it's Hamish Campbell, that was like under the rip curl surfboard. We're going to have to get on social media and look. Yeah, yeah. we but, need to do our due diligence we'll, over here. We'll goggle that. Going, going back to shapers and Caton, I remember one time, I think it was a Pesh. It was a Pesh made for Tom Kern. Yeah. And I was like, "Wow, this board was made for Tom." He Curran. saw me riding them, so he wanted to get one. <laughs> well, no, yeah. <laughs> well, I asked Dan. I was like, "This this board is made for Tom Kern." He's like, "Can't say it was ever going to get to Tom Kern, but it says shape for Tom Kern on the bottom of the board." <laughs> yeah, it's good marketing. <laughs> but like you said earlier, like how many people probably made a board for somebody and just like, "Yeah, hey, want to try this board? I made it for you." Yeah. Well, Tom Kern rode for the Surf. When I rode for the Surf, I was like one of my first Surf Shop sponsors. Did you, Did you know about the Surf? He's right here on uh, Beach and Adams. Japanese Easter. dude. Yeah. No. Uh, Kito, right? Yeah, Kito. Kito no, song. I was thinking of surf edition. It's like one of the OG 
Japanese like surf shop dudes that moved over here and started a business here and shipping product you know, back. Shipping product gotcha. Back. Yeah. Gotcha. Anyways, um, I'm sure that guy killed it. Yeah. Killed <laughs> it. There was that heyday. Yeah. You know. so, so you pretty much grew up in the Caton surf shop then? Pretty much. I mean, yeah. Caton has been, if it wasn't for Caton and it wasn't for Craig, I you know, wouldn't be, 50% of the reason why I wouldn't be where I am today. Glenn's been a, a great friend and mentor to me. And, yeah. you know, they let me work in the shop to work off bills. You know, they'd always front me boards and clothing. And, you know, then at the time when Rick Lore and uh, Bill, uh, my friend Bill's last name, Keller, took over Caton, they made sure that I was, you know, just one of the shop groms would always get stuff from them. I think I had a Caton allowance where I could go by there and yeah. buy stuff monthly. But, you know, they really helped mold me in a, in a good way. And it was good. Like I said, I grew up in Seal Beach, but was never part of that clique. I found a yeah. home one beach over. That's yeah. cool. I mean, it's such a small community, you know, from yeah. Huntington to Seal Beach. And yet it's so, so separated. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Well, we like we talk about... Um, West Coast Board Riders, right? When, yeah. When they first started that, it was uh, like a South Side chapter, a North Side chapter, a Bullshit Bullshit no chapter. Yeah. Seal, yeah. In the beginning, when when they first started it, that's kind of how it was going to set up, and then it turned into a Huntington thing and a Seal thing. And yeah. You have to get a Max inter- chapter. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a Max chapter or RJ's chapter. I don't know, but yeah, as soon as we Mac started, as, as soon as other uh, counties or towns started putting teams together, we, we had to consolidate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you see that? Uh, you know, Kevmo from uh, yeah. Heritage. He started the uh, South Jersey chapter no Riders Club, so there's going to be a East Coast Board Riders Club. Pretty cool. I think I think it's, it's a great be. a great thing. I mean, everybody's psyched on it, yeah. and you know, when you see some of the teams, it's. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. You're like, wow, some of my heroes are on that team. And that's awesome because it's our heroes past and present yeah. right? and future. Yeah. Like, it's crazy when, you know, you see a contest and you have all these Groms that are, dude, they're freaking ripping. Ripping. And then you still have guys like Archie or, you know. Right. Yeah. Definitely Machado. And Machado. Oh my gosh. I'm going to start yeah. the Rossmore Riders. Yeah. It's going to be me, Matt Wignall, even though he doesn't get live Remy there anymore, there. and I'll get Remy on there. Well, we need to get Lyndon in the. In the, the I don't want, the old the Advil uh, division. I still got it, bro. You do. That's what I'm saying. You need, we need to get you in there. You're it, bro. So, going back to Mike building the revolution, um, you said. You didn't go to college. No. So here's, you know, here's the interesting part about it. Um, I was not the best student. Actually graduated junior high with a 1.6. <laughs> you were spending more time in the water than you were in the classroom? <laughs> I, 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 fortunately, I wasn't ditching that much in junior high. But I do remember signing up for Spanish as an elective and the, the teacher or principal or whatever it was looking at me and saying, why don't you work on English before you work <laughs> on Spanish? And then I went to high school, I went to La Salle, and I was so far behind my senior year that um, I had a zero period, I had regular school, I had after school at an ROP night class. And by the second semester of my senior year, um, they were like, we think you should go to continuation school. I said, all right, this is, sounds good. And, and then I went to Laurel, which isn't there anymore. But Laurel was from like 8.30 to 12.30. 
That's I was like, awesome. I was like, you serious? Condensed. I didn't have to. I didn't have to. Ditch they knew it. your guys' attention span yeah. was a little shorter, right? Let's just shorten the day. And it was also one of those schools where they're like, hey, this isn't your everyday school. This is work at your own pace school. And I'm like, <laughs> like do this packet, take a test. Somebody pinch me. Yeah. And you could smoke, which I, you know, cigarettes I find disgusting, but when you're a stupid senior in high school, you yeah. think it's cool. Yeah. Um, so I remember after a couple months of going to Laurel, they're like, hey, we, we know we said it's work at your home pace, <laughs> but do you think you could step it up a little bit? And uh, finally... You pretty much can't kick you out, though, right? Well, that's what I thought. <laughs> and then finally, the, the, the principal was like, look, if you don't make a credit in every class this week, we're going to have to furlough you, oh. which means you're going to be kicked out for 30 days. And I was like... All right, all right, I'm going to do it. that was the second semester of your senior Second semester year. of my senior year, I was 15 credits, 15 credits away from graduating. And uh, so I did everything, and I had, I remember this, certain things I'll remember forever, the air in front of Dana Gibson and my last day of school. Uh, <laughs> I did a credit in every class that week. I had a, um, English, an English class. Damn, English. Second language. Uh, second, <laughs> I could tell you a story about that, too. Um... And uh, after my English class, I had my art class. I left my English class, and in my art class, I just had to make one drawing. The English teacher called me back in and said, you got a couple answers wrong on your test. I need you to come back here and fix it so I can give you the credit. I went back there. They're super cool, I fixed huh? it. Bell rang, end of the day, never got to make my art drawing. Went oh. back to school Monday. Principal Bishop, that was his name. Nice guy, by the way. Super nice guy. Caring. Called me and said, we had a deal. The deal was you had to get a credit in every class this week, and there was a silver dollar. And I'd give you this silver dollar. It was a real silver dollar. (laughs) Or you're going to be furloughed for 30 days. And I'm sorry you didn't do it. I have to furlough you for 30 days, and you need to complete this packet before I let you back in. And he threw this packet that was the size of an encyclopedia down on his desk. In reality, it was probably the size of a small pamphlet. But in my mind, it was the yeah. world's biggest thing. Oh. And I was like, how, what am, are you gonna tell your how am I going to do this? And I was like, well, the Grateful Dead. <laughs> that sounds like a good career <laughs> career path for me. So I, I, I said, Mom, Dad, I was 18 by the time. I, I said, I'm going to follow the Grateful Dead. I'll see you later. <laughs> I'm not going back to school. And uh, I've always had very supportive parents and, you know. Were they hippies? No, but they, they realized forcing me to do well in school wasn't working. Yeah. And my mom was like, well, whatever makes you happy. And I'm like, hey. sounds like partying with the dead's going to make me happy. <laughs> so uh, uh, at 18, nobody wanted to go with me. I took my truck and I just drove to the East Coast and started seeing the dead and fish back then. And then I came back and uh, going full circle, Craig at Interface gave me a job. He needed somebody to outline boards. This was so before. This let's, e- let's talk about the... You're 18, you go to the East Coast, and how long did you spend traveling with the Grateful Dead? Between the Grateful Dead... Well, remember, this is 93... Well, I can't say remember. I don't know if you guys have a big Grateful Dead history. This was 93, and Jerry Garcia died in 95. So there was only a two-year span of concerts left yeah. in the Grateful Dead. But there was also Fish, and around 96, I kind of wasn't as... I, I enjoyed it, but I... For me personally, Fish's concerts were best in 94, you know, being like snobby hippie or whatever. I hate the word hippie, but whatever. It's like, it's not the same, man. Yeah. Um, better better go get me a job. But and 93 is when you left. High school. Left yeah. high school and you followed him for two years? 
Yeah, I mean, between them and Fish, we just, you know, travel the East Coast, West Coast, and go wow. to shows. So that was fun. And, and uh, What did you do for money? How did you get money? What did you... Lots of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why I got into sales in the future, I suppose. <laughs> but, but, you know, to be honest with you, I did, uh, I did sell, you know, a couple of legal things, but I also realized I didn't want to uh, go to jail. And I was never a big weed smoker, so I didn't want to do that. I realized very quickly that especially at the fish concerts that were smaller back then, you could buy a 24-pack of Mountain Dew for four seventy-five at the local grocer, sell each one of those Mountain Dews for a dollar, make turn your four your five bucks into twenty-four bucks. The next day I would buy two cases of Mountain Dew. And I sold Mountain Dew for like two years at concerts. Do, do the do. I would do the do. And I don't know why, but the funny thing about it is not to sound like a, a drug dealer, they say don't get high off your own supply, like that Easy E song. Yeah. I hate Mountain Dew. I don't even drink soda. Yeah. Good but for, you. for some reason, people would come out of a fish concert seeing Mountain Dew and start throwing dollars at you like you were yeah. a, like a, a stripper or something. Yeah. I would well, like in their state of mind, everything is just yeah. Yeah. liquid. Sugar. Yeah, sugar. They, they need to get that. So in in five minutes, I'd turn my five dollars into twenty five bucks, and at that time, a tank of gas was only you know ten to twenty dollars. <laughs> Living in a van down by the river. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, no, it's funny. I remember well, for two years you did that. Yeah. I mean, there was a time, and, and then did you surf on the East Coast too. Or? I have not at the time. I mean, surfing was this weird blip. I remember coming back, and that's where Craig was like, we had a, a talk. We didn't know if you were coming back. We just thought you were gone. And I'm like, I'm only gone for a couple months at a time. I still lived in the area, you know, like, you know, but I just wasn't surfing the way I was. But he gave me a job um, profiling so surfboards. You, got, you have to have some crazy Grateful Dead on the streets there's a lot of interesting stories yeah I bet. yeah because uh deadheads are pretty awesome <laughs> and crazy yeah there's some interesting I mean, free-spirited come on i, I could tell not crazy i could tell you some stories but that might be a whole nother podcast yeah. we'll <laughs> late late night you, yeah we'll have to yeah. bring you with back some beer yeah uh but yeah so uh so you came back fun. i came back craig gave me a job um, again, this was before machines were cutting out surfboards. What, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it Robert Colby that kind of started that? No, not not the uh, CNC machine. Yeah, because didn't he have Broform or whatever it was? No. Or Brocam um, or something? I don't know who. It's not him. Started. It's Brian Lindsay. And I don't think it was Robert Colby. Okay. I just remember <clears throat> profiling boards for Craig and him being like, this guy came up with this machine. Yeah, yeah. CNC machine. CNC machine. Right? And I was yeah. like, oh, I'm going to be out of a job. <laughs> Bro, who else is going to cut that template for you? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I got a job working at Interface. Profiling board. Right off of Producer Lane over there by Quicksilver. Okay. Um, behind Marina. Um, it's, it's still there today. Okay. Um, I, I went, see him every once in a while in the water. He's, um, if I remember correctly, uh, I think his father, well, I hate saying this, his father did pass away. I, you know, I'm pretty 99% sure. And he uh, now runs his printing company mm-hmm. and just shapes for fun. Doesn't try to make cool. a living out of it. Um, but yeah, because uh, where I work now, my, I have a desk at a place called the Dock HB um, and interface is right across the street. So I texted Craig and he's like, yep, still there, shape every once in a while and Man, his boards always worked. I kind of want to order one off. Does, of, does he have a glass shop there, and like, or is it just I don't shaping know. bay? Just a shaping bay. Mm. It's a shaping bay apartment. Mm. There was a time before uh, before him and his then wife got married. He, he was living there too, and I remember thinking it was so cool because he had a shaving bay and, and a shower and 
you know, he, it was a full apartment. A couple yeah, people I don't think I don't think a wife or a girlfriend would want to live in that kind of apartment. No. <laughs> so then he would rent it out to our friends, and we'd have parties there, and it was cool. But uh, yeah, worked there for a long, long time, um, and you know, helped him with team stuff. Except for Tom, I didn't know anything about Tom Curran. I mean, I did, but I didn't have anything to do with Tom Curran. It was more of the little groms. Would try to do sales. I remember knowing nothing about sales and sales at surf shops. And uh, this is kind of a good story. I walked into Laguna Surf and Sport because we knew that was one of the cool shops you had to be in, like when he was trying to get his boards at Huntington Surf and Sport. And uh, Brandy Faber was was buying at the time. Yeah. And I literally just walked in with like a, a bouquet of blonde dreadlocks down to my back. And I had a briefcase. I remember I had a briefcase. Leather briefcase? No. Oh. It was, the funny thing about it was, though, is I had a briefcase that was like a case. And I got stopped three times walking through Laguna, people thinking I was selling glass pipes. <laughs> and I would have, hey, let me see what's in the case. And that's, I could, that's where you would sell them. Yeah. Like, let me see what's in the case. I'm all, it's just paperwork. My artwork. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Brandy. In, in Laguna. Brandy was, <laughs> the brotherhood down there. Uh, Brandy was super cool to me. And I remember talking to him at SEMA years later. I mean, this is maybe like six years ago. I said, I remember trying to sell you surfboards at Laguna Surf and Sport. And he goes, oh, man, was I mean to you? <laughs> I go, no, you were super nice. And he's like, oh, so good to hear. <laughs> yeah, because he can be a dick. He was like. Faber. <laughs> Brandy Faber. That's me, Lyndon Chalky Cabellian, saying you, you were probably a dick. He's like, I'm so glad. And still are. <laughs> he was like, I'm so glad I was nice to you. And that was also, you know, as we are discussing earlier, when before I knew you, and Craig comes to me and goes, dude, this guy at Linden, I mean, I'm sorry, this guy at Linden at H- HSS, at Huntington Surface Board, says I need to change my logo. And I remember being like, who is this Linden guy? That's a cool name, but why do you need to change your logo? And he worked, he worked on it for like, I think, six months, all from your advice. And I bet you all years... He still years, didn't get boards in there. He still didn't get boards in there, and now he's got this I that people think is a J, and just go back to the old, lo- old logo, Craig. Sorry. <laughs> It's pretty. It's pretty hard to get into surf and sport. I yeah, mean, you had tons of thousands of, of shapers trying to get in there and clothing and blah blah. blah. People from all over the world. Are, yeah, I mean, gosh, that Main Street Huntington really is that mecca where I didn't. I believed it, but I can tell you, I've talked to retailers in other places in other countries that plan trips to Main Street to see what's inside Huntington Surf and Sport and Jacks. Sure. Yeah, and I'm like, that's nuts. I mean. From doing Building the Revolution, I know, I talk to surf shops all the time, and, yeah. and I talk to people from France that come here and make a point to go to Huntington Beach to mm-hmm. see what's in those stores. Yeah. People that come here from Israel that do the same thing. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, we it's, worked, when we worked there, it was, it was, yeah, I mean, I started off at the 15th Street location, which is like a Caton-like yeah. atmosphere, right? Small, little hole in the wall off the beaten path kind of and uh you know eventually made it to my way to the pierside main street store and aaron you know made it like disneyland yeah yeah you know back in the day it the, was like the cave the, the cave fi- the fish amazing. tank the, the shark you know the, the jans and food and just having a multi-functional yeah. so real real quick i know i say this quick I talk way too much, but it's a podcast. We're here to talk. So when you worked at 15th Street, do you remember when they were building the condos next door and there was a big yes. hole? So I remember, I don't know if you guys know Gavin Shook. He worked at Wind and Sea forever. When Wind and Sea was right there by or Wendy's. 15th. 
that's, that's a I mean, sixth street. Fifth, yeah, sixth. Or fifth, yeah. Fifth, sixth. So we're walking through Huntington, and uh, there's that big crater next to the 15th street. And uh, I go, whoa. Whoa, what are they building there? And he goes, oh, they're building a wave pool for the guys at Huntington Surfing Point. <laughs> and I go... Gavin, why would they do that? That's stupid. The ocean is across the street. And he goes, well, so they can practice when it's crowded. And I hook, line, and sink. <laughs> Didn't even second guess him. And like six months later, I go, dude, they f- <laughs> have they finished that wave pool? And he's underneath like, the condos, bro. He's like, what are you talking about? The wave pool for the Huntington Surface Sport guys. And he goes, I was totally screwing with you. Oh, my like, you were so convincing in your argument. I totally believed that you. That is so awesome. <sighs> that made me laugh so good it hurt my head. Oh, man. So you, you um, came back from your Deadhead tour. Started yep. working with uh, Interface Boards. Started again. working with Interface Surfboards. Did that for a while. And... Uh, so the funny thing was, um, my sister at the time worked for RCA Records, okay. and uh, she was like, hey, do you want to earn some extra money? We're throwing a party um, on the promenade in Santa Monica, and they need someone to bartend. At the time, I think I was like 20-something, 20, 20 early, early 20s. I said, sure, and I bartended. It was just beer and you know, Jack and Coke, nothing crazy. My, I don't have bartending skills. N- you're not a mixologist? I'm not a mixologist. <laughs> I probably pretended that I was that night. And... Uh, so Did you some still have of dreadheads though, or dread, dreadlocks? No, okay. and maybe that's why they asked me to do it. Uh, so uh, the VPs at RCA really liked me, and they said, "Do you want to intern here at RCA Records? We'll bypass all of the college stuff. You're kidding. You can come um, and intern in our radio promotion place." I said, "Cool." And uh, so you, we you just hobnobbing like I would go networking. Shit, well, he, networking. Here's what's funny. My sister had already worked at RCA for quite a while, and at the time... Was your sister pissed? No, she got me the gig. I didn't get paid. She was getting paid. Yeah. I was I was just an intern. And she said... Um, but she just bunny hopped her. Yeah, I totally did. She said, uh, hey, there's a... Do you want me to see... Because um, I moved to LA um, in her apartment. She was living with her then fiancé, so her apartment was available. She goes, I know you need money. Let me see if I can get you a couple hours in the mailroom. So I would work, I would, I would intern for three days. That's how the schedule was set up. Intern for three days, work in the mailroom for two. So hold on a second. The, the VP of RCA or the... He was the v, there was three VPs of radio promotion. And, and they, they pulled some strings and got me an internship. Right. They thought, oh, this kid's smart. Your sister right. must have been super hot. Energetic. She's my, <laughs> she's my sister. <laughs> she, um, he's an energetic kid. He's affable, whatever. Let's... Yeah, let's give him, let, you, you talk well to people you don't know. You would do well in radio promotion. Let's get you an internship. So then I got my first day at an internship. My second day I worked in the mailroom, and RCA is part of the BMG umbrella, and they have a building on Robertson and Wilshire that house several of their record labels. So I delivered mail and picked up mail three times a day to uh, V2 Records, uh, RCA Records um, at the time, oh, I can't even remember. It was so long. Priority Records was in there, I think. I might have made that up. It wasn't Priority Records. Anyways, Somebody. five different record labels. By the end of my second day, I was leaving with my sister, and people from all of the building were like, Hey, Mike, how are you doing? How's it going? And she's like, You've been here for two days, and you know more people here. I go, well, I, I delivered their mail and picked it up three yeah. times a day. Yeah. Stop working so hard. They, Stop being they, so cool. I'm face-to-face, yeah. So on the fifth day, one week at the BMG building at RCA, 
on my third day of internship, I got offered a job, which was really funny because there was a girl who would drive every day from Riverside to Robertson and Wilshire, Beverly Hills, for her internship. Oh, my gosh. And she was in line to get this internship, but she was also a full-time student. I mean, I'm sorry, to get the full-time job. It's like $10 an hour. She was in line to get this job. And... uh, you bunny hopped her. She couldn't get it because she was also a student. I was not a student. <laughs> here comes into play. So they said, do you want this job? You're already here for free. We'll pay you $10 an hour to come in five days a week. And I was like, I just, I just made it. $10 an hour? <laughs> Huge. I'm going to buy myself a Beverly Hills house. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked there for a year. <clears throat> and then my boss went to... Did, did your sister like... Bro... Now, Are you giving away BJ's here or what? <laughs> I should have been. Uh, no, she just my my sister just has always laughed at me because yeah. she older than you. She's or? older than me and she knows my strengths. Yeah, she's like my dad. She's very intelligent. At um, she's just very intelligent. She yeah. graduated from college. She did all the right steps. I've always just winged it. Somehow got in there. Yeah, um, and then done my best to. Uh, Good looks and personality. Yes, right. I'm very handsome. For, for people who can't see me on the, on a podcast, I'm very, I'm very handsome. It's hard to look at him, Mike, you guys. Yeah. Mike I mean, Blank, Mike something. Yeah. That's why I'm like, share. I can have Check. one name. I'm so gorgeous. So I went to, my boss went to Roadrunner Records, which was a heavy metal record label. I worked there for a while. Um, and then uh, I, I played in a band called The Killingtons. It was a local I band. Killington's? I played uh, keyboards and backing vocals. Wasn't a main member, but I, I uh, did that. And Mitch Townsend, who was in the Killingtons, worked at Nitro Records, which was here in Huntington Beach. It was yeah. uh, Dexter Holland's record label. I worked there for four years. Wow. Um, and then at that time, Napster hit. Okay. And people were freaking out about downloading. And I was doing college radio promotion. They're like, we can outsource that. I got let go. I started my own company. I did that for a year. And, uh, what was your company called? It was called Old Bicycle Promotion. I wanted to have a company named after something that had nothing to do with what I was doing. I have no idea why. Um, but I tur- I spun it and said, you know, radio promotion is like an old bicycle. You have to turn the cranks to get it to go. Did that for a year and realized just because you're good at a job doesn't mean you're great at running a company. <laughs> I made every mistake. And within a year, things weren't looking that great for me. And I was my girlfriend, who is my now wife, was like, "You should probably get a job, <laughs> a real job, a paying job." So I, I came back to my circle of friends, and I emailed Barry Marmion, who was running Ocean Earth at the time. I don't know if you guys know Barry. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. we all know Barry. He was my neighbor at one point in time. So I don't know if you've ever emailed Barry. <laughs> I emailed Barry, and said, because he goes, "Yeah, email me." So I'm thinking about close, closing down my radio promotion company, and and uh, let me know if you have any work. Well, if you know Barry, he didn't get back to me on my email right away. <laughs> Which is funny, is I could have just called him or gone and knocked on his door. We've been, email's so cool. I've been friends with Barry for over half my life. I should have just called him. But I didn't think much about it. Three months later, he emailed me back. Hey, bro, sorry. I've been slammed. And he was traveling a lot. I could use some extra help. Which happened to be the same day that I was my closing day of my company. I had nothing wow. to do the next day. He said, when can you start? I said, I'll be over tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> Look at that timing. That's like So I showed, showed up on Graham Street. And, uh, Is that where Ocean Earth was? At the time, Ocean Earth was on Graham and uh, McFadden. Yeah. 
um, before we moved over to uh, Costa Mesa. And then from there, um, gosh, we worked there for a long time. And then it went to Larry Block. But at the time, Barry was partners with uh, the Ocean Earth Company in Australia with, with Brian and a couple other partners at the time. And worked at Ocean Earth. I was At the time, I was the uh, just an in-house customer service guy. And uh, they didn't have a NorCal rep. I'm a big fan of NorCal. I was like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I mean, you, if you had me and Barry on this show, we could tell you some really funny stories. <laughs> and uh, so once a month, I would drive up to San Francisco. I would go about as far as Point Reyes once a month. I would go up to Point Reyes Surf Shop, hit all those guys in between. Would always hit Proof Lab, you know, on the first day because what I would... those guys. Uh, I would fill up <clears throat> a van with board That would guys. pay for your whole trip, just <laughs> showing up there. <laughs> as I said, I would always hit them on the first day. <laughs> I, I had a rule. I had to make $100 a day. I could get that just to Proof Lab. Those guys, the guys at Proof Lab, Nate and Will, one are great people and have oh. that shop. Day. I mean, they're just they're doing a great job up there. I, yeah, and the way they can't ex- say enough about Nate and Will. Yeah, I remember not the last time I was up, but I remember when they expanded out of the little store into the the big compound it is now. Will was showing me pottery classes for kids, the garden, the music studio. I yeah. mean, it's, it's amazing. And, yeah, what yeah. they've done. Um, so once a month, I would drive to Point Reyes and back, and I had a van, well, at the time, a U-Haul, full of product. And uh, by then, my dreadlocks were fully back. <laughs> Ties into a story later. Uh, and then I would hit shops, and I would sell product out of the U-Haul, and once a quarter, I would drive up to Humboldt, and I would stop at, at the time, I think it was the greenhouse before Jess got rid of it, and Monty took back over, and Jess was living in Guam, and then Jess came back and opened up the neighborhood the shop wasn't open yet. There was, uh, there was, um, was it Eureka Surf and Sport? I think Salty's was still open. I'd hit all those guys, stop in Garberville, and just pull off and just sell out of the van. One this time, is like what? What the time period? Two thousand. This had to be the early two thousands. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was funny because if you have met Barry Marmion, he has um, tattoos and kind of slicked back hair. Yeah. And we He's both love. We both love skateboarding. So one time we're driving down from Humboldt, he came with me, and man, we've always had such a fun time, and we decided to go skate the Willits, the Willits Skate Park. It was mm-hmm. part of the Tony Hawk Foundation. It's out in the middle of Willits in this field. And uh, sorry, I keep looking out there. It's just... Uh, me too. Um, My so kids we, are going to be home soon. I want to... Uh, we get out of this U-Haul, and this guy goes, where do you guys work? And we're like, what are you talking about? You guys work in the surf industry. I've never seen a hippie and a punker jump out of a U-Haul truck together. <laughs> And we're all, we work at Ocean and Earth, and at the time Barry was doing some skate stuff. But um, yeah, I worked at Ocean Earth for like six years. Wow. Um, started doing that, worked my way up to a sales manager um, while still doing rep and stuff like that. And then they decided to, um, and at the time Barry left, they brought in a guy named Dave Nielsen, who was running it. I remember Dave. And then yeah. they, uh, yeah, Dave Nielsen, who actually started ProLite, yep. was running Ocean Earth for a while. They decided, Australia was like, look, this is great, but we would prefer just to have a distributor. And they went with uh, Larry Block for a while, and uh, now it's over at Eastern. I think Reggie's doing it. Yeah. But uh, so I worked. Did they try to get in the clothing game too for a little yeah. bit? Yeah, yeah. That 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 was uh, the when, beginning when of the uh, Todd Prestige, and everybody was like something like that. I like, can't remember. Well, they did. It's wearing it. It's the typical, uh, you know, what works here doesn't work everywhere. Yeah. And although they were going, well, what works in Australia doesn't. Yeah, work they were doing here. great with clothing there. I believe the European licensees were doing good, but it, you know, we had to. Perf- Let's perfect our accessories game. Yeah. Um, but, you know, going to the six years at Ocean and Earth, there's the other 50% or whatever I said earlier from Kane of why I started building the revolution. 
no college education, little education, but if it wasn't for the surf shops that gave me a chance and, and I mean, gosh, I, I remember calling surf shops going, I got to hit my goal. Can you buy six more pads? <laughs> if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have a, a real career. Yeah. All yeah. the surf shops throughout the U.S. that I would call. I mean, I was calling. I would go to work in the morning and call surf shops on the East Coast and stay late at night to call shops in Hawaii because I had a really sweet deal there, too. Not only did I get a salary, but any territory that didn't have a rep, I would also get 10% commission. Beautiful. On the, on the phone. Yeah. I didn't have kids back then. Yeah. I would just call shops all day long. But if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have – my kids wouldn't be eating. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have – I wouldn't be paying a mortgage. Yeah. They, this is pre-B2B, you know? It was yeah. strictly, you had right. to show up or you had to call, you know, call. Yeah. Get yeah. a hold of the buyer. Take inventory. Yeah. and You had to show up or, or call. Yeah. yeah. And you realize, too, when, you know, that's why I realized, you know, I love spending so much time on the road, too. I'd fly to the East Coast all the time and uh, because you got that one-on-one time. And yeah. then when you got to call them, they're like, oh, Mike, you've been to my shop. You yeah. know what you've seen. And Yeah. You know, there's a small store in Garberville called Tsunami. I called, I called, um, uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm getting Bailey's, his daughter, and Richard. Richard owns Tsunami Surf Shop in Garberville. And I said, I'm going to come up and see you. Oh yeah, I've heard that a million times. Yeah. All you Orange County guys, sure, you're going to drive <clears> to Garberville. <throat> I said, no, I am. One of my childhood best friends lives in, in uh, West Haven, which is just right outside of, um, or New Haven, just outside of Arcata. I'm going I'm, I'm to come see you. I showed up there two, two months later. So I guess I got to buy some stuff. You yeah. came, <laughs> and I I still talk to him fairly often. Yeah. You know, that's um, the cool thing about sales, and and the cool thing about the surf industry, skate industry. You you form these relationships with these you know like minded people, right? Yeah. And and like you said, I've I've done that so many times where I've met somebody either here or at a trade show, and it's hard to get to all the territories, but when you do. That's like the extra step to a real long-lasting, cool relationship. Right. You know? Yeah. Like Kevmo, one of the best dudes ever. Great guy. Rips, loves to drink beer, you know, surf freaking rap through and through. Um, Farious, all those dudes. Like, And it's funny because coming from the West Coast, you know, and growing up and working at Huntington Surf and Sport, which is, in, in my mind, was the best shop in the world and still is one of them. Mm -hmm. But seeing it the way other people do it in, in different, you know, communities, it's pretty bitching. It's yeah, like, they're, they're, they're so proud of what they have. So yeah. when you show up and they get to show you, like, it's like bringing somebody into your home. Like yeah. their, their stores are yeah. like... This is their blood, sweat, and tears. This is their livelihood. Like yeah. there's so much passion in the shops. So when you get somebody that hasn't been there, or you've you know talked about coming and you show up, yeah, yeah, it, it just, means something. It means something yeah. for sure. So we don't want to jump right into building the revolution, but let's talk about okay. So after building or after so after Ocean, Ocean and Earth, Earth, it's actually uh, I worked for Oxbow for like a minute. Holy crap! For a minute. Oh man, who called me? Uh, Laird? No. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you a good Laird story though. Didn't Kern right, right from me? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. No. Uh, but I can't remember who called me and said. Oxbow. Oh no, Realm. Sorry, I was way off. Realm. I think it was Colin McPhillips <laughs> heard that the I needed board. a job. Yeah, and okay. he was working on U.S. marketing, and I think he maybe heard from Sean Hager that I needed a gig. So Colin called me. I met the guys in France, and I just had my first son. So this is about eight years ago. 
He was a so wait, you went to France for Check off? this out. Okay. The guy calls me. Hello, Mike. This is Vince from Augsburg. I was wondering if you could come to, uh, f- to Bordeaux for our meeting. Sorry for my bad French impersonation. I said, sure. Thank you. I said, sure. Uh, this is a Monday. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was Monday. Um, I said, sure. When do you need me there? He goes, Wednesday. And I said, well, that means I need to leave tomorrow to be at your meeting by Wednesday because of the time frame. And at the time, I was living in a two-story house. My wife was upstairs with our three-month-old baby. I said, honey, I got the job at Oxbow. Can I go to France? I'm yelling upstairs for her. Sure, when? Tomorrow? <laughs> you got I, this, right? Yeah. With the three-month-old, right? I hear her from upstairs go, okay. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, we'll send you a ticket. Got on a plane, went to France the next day. and uh, That's kind of exciting. You know, it's cool. I, uh, Hobie was, wrote me an order. Uh, Becker. So wait, you were going to be the sales manager? I was going to be the, no, I was just going to be the West Coast sales guy. They had a guy named Terry, who was the, and he's a great guy. He was the Hawaii rep that moved there from France. They just wanted me to focus on the West Coast. So in the three to six months that I did it, maybe it was six months, I got Dive and Surf on board. I got Hobie on board. I had, um, Caton wrote an order. Um, and it goes back to what you said, is these relationships, you know, and I always tell every rep that I work with, do your best because it's not the product that you're selling. Yeah, I mean, it so, is. You want to sell product that you believe in. Yeah. But remember, you're yeah. going to work somewhere else down the road. And you yep. don't want them to... If you want my advice, be the rep that when you come in, the buyer is happy to come out and say hello. Yeah. Not the one where the guy looks around and goes, oh, he's not here. And he's hiding in the yeah. back. Yeah. But um, so going people to Laird... People want to do business with people they like. And right. support. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, make long-lasting... Don't make contacts. Make long-lasting relationships. Yeah. Um, but so I flew with Words Mitch. Words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. Write them down. I flew with Mitch. So this is now it was my son's first Halloween and Oxbow wanted me to go to, to Hawaii. And my wife's like, you're not going to miss this first Halloween. So all right, I'll fly to Halloween for a day because it was the Oxbow Longboard, Longboard World Championship. So me and Mitch from Becker flew over there. I don't know if you guys know Mitch, but he, yeah. was, he runs the LA store. So he knows Laird. And we're down in Makaha and Mitch is talking to Laird and, and Mitch says... Laird, I want you to meet Mike. He's, uh, he's the new California Oxbow rep. Laird walks up to me, straight-faced, sticks out his hand and goes, good luck with that, and walks away. Wow. <laughs> and all of a sudden I go, I like this guy. <laughs> straight. <laughs> no sugar coat now, huh? That was the... F- did oh. he mean it that way? or did- I don't know, but it was so awesome. Like, maybe he had to go somewhere, and he was just like, good luck with that. But the way he said it so straight-faced, I was like, that was amazing. Wow. So I spent uh, I spent uh, two days in Hawaii with Mitch and Colin McPhillips. And I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Tell me to stop telling stories. No. But me, Mitch, and Colin McPhillips hear about this, this place to get the best Mexican food in Makaha. And we walk into this place. Makaha's a little area. We, we, yeah, yeah. If you've never been to Makaha, it's... it's, it's, it's like you said, we, I feel like we're going through some shady hotel and in the back there is this, this Mexican food restaurant. And uh, we walk through this place and there's, there's all these Hawaiians and, and the guy's like, yeah, we'll sit you. And he puts us in, the, in our own room. We're in this, we're in, now we're in the side room of this restaurant. And three out, white dudes. Yeah, three <laughs> white dudes. Where the green goes. Three hallies. Yeah, the go. And then all of a sudden this blonde waitress comes through. I'm like, where are we? And she takes her order. And I order, uh, at the time, of, you know, I'm vegan now. At the time, I was vegetarian. I was laughing about that. I was like, what's special about me? I go, well, I'm vegan, and, I, and it doesn't say it on my Instagram. 
<laughs> Shout it out to everybody. But for the story, <laughs> at the time I was vegetarian, so I probably ordered a veggie burrito. Colin ordered something with moly sauce, and Mitch orders moly sauce. And at the last minute, minute, Mitch says to the blonde waitress, I changed my mind. I don't want mole sauce. Give me the verde sauce. No problem, she says. We wait there in silence. Nobody's coming to see us. And she comes out with the food. And uh, Mitch gets mole sauce. And he doesn't want to complain. But he takes a bite and he goes, I just, I just can't do it. He calls the waitress back. He goes, I'm sorry, I, I didn't want the mole sauce. And she goes, I'm so sorry. It's my mistake. I take it. I'll take it back. Two minutes later, this heavy-set Hawaiian dude, who is clearly the chef, oh, comes out to our room with <clears throat> his stained apron, and he has a knife in his hand. And we're like, what is going on? And he looks at our table and goes, hey, who don't like the mole sauce? <laughs> and me and Colin pointed at Mitch so fast. And Mitch just looks at him and goes, I'm sorry, dude. I just don't like chocolate on my burritos. <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, no problem, I change for you. And we're like, he leaves and we're like, dude, I thought we were going to die. <laughs> the whole setup of the side room. And, yeah, and the funny thing is, uh, that was my first time to Hawaii. I'd never been to Hawaii oh prior gosh. to that. I always, surf trips for me were always driving up to Humboldt and surfing alone in cold water. I yeah. never I never went to tropical destinations because I wanted to go venture out and be by myself yeah. and, you know, go out. I always loved I always loved the California road trip. So, sorry, a little Oxbow story. Um, yeah, so I worked at Oxbow for a little bit, and then they decided, which I've, I've heard they've done a couple times, made a push here and then decided to pull the plug. Yeah. The guys there were amazing. They wrote me this letter of recommendation. It's not you. Our, our backers decided to pull. Um, and then I, uh, I didn't have a job for a couple weeks. And uh, at the time, you guys know Matt Patterson? Yep. So at the time, I worked with Matt Patterson at Ocean and Earth. He was working at Body Glove. And he called me up and he said, hey, Mike, because I applied for the job at Body Glove before he got it. He called Matt me up. Matt Patterson from Newport? Yeah. Okay. He worked at Body Glove for a year. Okay. He called me up and said, Mike, I'm walking out of the Body Glove building right now. And, uh, man, man. Uh, I, he goes, I'm walking out of Body Glove right now. He was leaving to work for... Um, analog? Not Analog. No, this is after Analog. Okay. He was leaving to work for... Uh, what was that... Uh, media group he worked for. They were doing some oh. stuff. I was down there. It was part of the Optimum group or something like that. It was down in Irvine. And he, he's, he, just, he was such a great writer. Um, and he was good at the marketing stuff. So it was a perfect, a perfect fit for him. He goes, I told them they should have hired you. So uh, he goes, wait a day and call, call uh, at the time. Well, he goes, call Sport Dimension, who would license his body glove. Called up the next day and uh, they gave me a job as the sales manager. Actually, no, they wanted to hire me as a sales rep. And I, I told them why I didn't want that job and why I thought I would be a great sales manager for them. And, uh, yeah, they hired me. I worked there at Body Glove uh, Wetsuits, overseeing their wetsuits and PFDs and, you know, basically their surf wake and, well, surf and wake business. They had, I, I did their specialty channels for them. Yeah. Did you have to drive up to uh, South Bay every day? No, at the time. Well, yes and no. So since Body Glove is on a licensee, licensor basis, uh, Sport Dimension moved from uh, the South Bay to Carson, uh, right off the 91 in Avalon, mm. uh, which is a borderline Carson-Compton, uh, I forgot that other neighborhood over there. Um, so I had to drive up there every day. It's not bad. No, it was too bad. Especially from Rossmore or Seoul. No traffic, 20 minutes with traffic an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, go, to go 16 miles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe. Which, not even that, probably. So... Uh, yeah, so then um, 
I started at Body Glove. I worked at Wetsuits for, I think, four years. Nice. So it was cool. Learned a lot. And that's actually where Building the Revolution, the idea for Building the Revolution came while I was working at Sport Dimension. So should we jump into that? Jump in. You're, yeah. You're running the interview. Build, I'm just telling weird stories. Building the Revolution. <laughs> so the real story of Building the Revolution, I was telling the boss at the time, my boss at Sport Dimension, I hear it from retailers all the time. You got, well, okay, so it wasn't called Building the Revolution yet. He said, I told him, I said, I hear from retailers all the time, you guys at Body Glove make amazing suits. Mm -hmm. The designer there, John Federoff, is a great wetsuit designer. He still handcrafts wetsuits. He could cut you up a wetsuit. He gets hired by a lot of guys to um, you know, consult. He was at Rip Curl forever. John Federoff is a true uh, wetsuit maker. You know, he's not, um, he doesn't rely on Shaco or Neil Pride or these other guys to design suits for him. He designs the suits. Make, they make great suits. Um, but I was hearing from shops, you guys make amazing suits, but I, I can't sell body. Body Glove isn't selling too well for me right now in the store. So I told Todd, why don't we come up with a new brand? Let's just make black suits. And, and funny, at the time I was talking to Marty at Jack's, he goes, I wish somebody would just make black suits and put a little logo on the hand. Yep. Kind of how uh, Matus used to have that limestone lo logo. Yeah, I love that because you could always see it. Yeah, you know, you knew it was a Matus. And through the talks, um, he said, "It's a great idea. Write up a business proposal." So I did, and I wrote it up. And remember, at the time, there was still no name, there was still no logo. It was a wetsuit brand. Um, and I said, "Do I get to own any of it?" And Todd said, "No, it'll be owner of Sport Dimension will own it." But you know, Todd was also I don't know if you know Todd Richards. He was a 49er. He goes, but write up what you want. Pitch it to me. Say, uh, you won't be an owner, but I want a royalty for life. Or, you know, he goes, write in as many things as you can so they can only say no to so many. Yeah. But then after thinking about it, I said, well, I don't want to help start a wetsuit brand um, that I don't get to own. You know, what do I do? Walk away. And at the time, I think I already... What if successful? What if this? What if that? Right. Yeah. I, I don't want to do that. And I said, all right. So I already started... Da I think I already held an Instagram, though. And um, you started the Instagram handle. I started an Instagram handle, but it wasn't called Building the Revolution yet. I think it. I think I called it Coming Soon or something like that. Surprisingly, that was available, or, or you know, <laughs> something like that. And I kept. I said, I got this Instagram. What am I going to do with this Instagram? And uh, I said, you know, like I said earlier, I love surf shops, and I looked at the mistakes that everyone in the industry has made, and I call them mistakes. It's hard for me to sit here and call them mistakes because. Brands grow. Evolution. And brands have to do what brands have to yeah. do. We know that. <clears throat> and, and brands have their business brand plans. And some brands have backers or are public and have to make certain decisions. Mm -hmm. So I said, I want to start something that that's not my business plan. My business plan is not to get that big. And I thought about, I, I love skateboarding. I've also grown up skateboarding my whole entire life. And I was like, I like what Consolidated did. And I'll be the first to admit this. I hope Consolidated isn't mad. Keep surfing in the hands of surfers. Yeah. Consolidated has used keep skateboarding in the hands of skaters for years. Mm -hmm. I just said, this is great. Yeah. You know? And I've talked to those guys on Instagram. They've never been like, dude, you stole our, yeah. you, you stole our, yeah. our saying. They're usually like, thumbs up. Great. Glad to see you're doing the same thing. And I was like, I want to be the Consolidated of surfing. Yeah. Yeah, And I said to myself, but what are the pros and cons here? The pros are it's what I believe in. I love this. 
I love surf shops. I don't want to make those mistakes. The cons are is I know it will never be a huge brand. I don't even want to be a brand. I never tried to be a brand. But if it ever becomes a brand, it's going to be a family brand. But it was about supporting the relationships a, and the surf, surf shops that you've had, right. you know, long-term yeah. like was, partnerships with. It was with, all about saying with. thank you. Yeah. yeah. So I came up with the logo. Well, I want to give credit where credit's due. I worked with a guy named Kevin, Kevin Ginther, and he's an artist. And I said, we kept toying around with ideas. And finally, to let everybody who's listening out there who wants to know what the logo is, I was thinking, what do I care about? And it was like the core, the core of surfing. There's nothing more core than the core of the earth. And I looked at a diagram of the earth layers, earth, I said earth, of the, the layers of the earth. And I was looking at it with Kevin. I said, look at this. Look at this diagram. How do we make this diagram of the earth cool? Can you make this cool, Kevin? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And what's sad is I, I used to have some hand drawings of, of with this. I, we were making doodles when we had this conversation. I left the doodles on a plane. I no longer have that. And, and he's all, look what I came up with. And it was your doodle. <laughs> no, Kevin, Kevin's great. He, he did a post that said, one of, I think it said something like, one of the logos I made that I'm, I'm most proud of that I was very heavily art directed on. Because we used to, if you haven't seen um, Hovering Art Director, the blog, it's usually somebody who knows nothing about art pointing yeah. at the screen, telling yeah. the person about, the person who knows art, what to do. <laughs> and he came back and he goes, what do you think about this? And I said, I love it. There was a couple renditions, but the one we landed on, I was like, I love it. So the logo, if you if you were to draw the circles around the back, you'll see it's just a diagram of the earth. And the center is the core. And that's what makes all these surf brands rad. The core surf shops. The guys that have put their passion ahead of them and, and every day in and out live for surfing. Yeah. That's why they started their surf shop. Not and, to be rich. Well, some. Not to be, you know, but to, to do what you love. And, you know, yeah. if you could make a little money right. selling stuff that you know everything about, you got friends coming in, everybody you know, make a little, you know, right. little, little little cash, you get yeah. to surf. So then I had a logo and I had an idea. I said, I just want to say thank you. Yeah. That's it. And I didn't have a name yet. Because originally, remember, it was going to be a wetsuit brand. I was going through black wetsuits and spelling it all R&B style with a Q and that didn't work. And so I just had this thing and I said, I don't like coming soon. I'm just going to write building the revolution as a placeholder. Because it sounds better than coming soon. Something's building. A revolution is building. We're building the revolution. But then everybody started calling it building the revolution, mm -hmm. not knowing that it wasn't the name. Because mm -hmm. my thought was when I come up with the name, I want to transition into make the, it name. the name. Yeah. But it just organically turned into the name and it worked really well. Mm -hmm. So it stayed building the revolution. And I started designing posts. But then here's the funny part I left Sport Dimension. That's where Kevin worked too. I have no graphic skills. How am I going to keep doing this? I think I, I think I, I made a hand drawing that said our graphic designer is on vacation. Be back soon. <laughs> and at the time, I started working for a company called SGS Sports, which is um, it's where I work today. For anybody out there who wants to guess where I work, I work for SGS Sports, who is a body glove licensee. I sell activewear now to running running stores and yoga stores. I work in the specialty activewear uh, department. I also work with swim stores too. But um, SGS is a family-owned company. The father who started is still there. He still goes to work every day and he values specialty retailers like you wouldn't believe. Going back to what we said earlier, when you have a brand, you have to make a couple decisions. And being a body glove licensee, you have to make a couple decisions there. But SGS Sports 
100%. They love all their accounts, but he loves specialty. I won't get into Steven's philosophies. That's the owner because those are his philosophies. But he said to me many times he would rather open nothing but specialty retailers for, for many reasons. Yeah. Um, I, that's yeah. another podcast. Honestly, man, that's the connection way... to the consumer. I, I think when people get worried of, you know, the Amazon's an online world going to take over. In certain categories and certain products, maybe, but when it comes down to relationships and personal experiences right. and going into the shops, especially like apparel stuff that, you know, is fashion forward or, or t- turning over constantly, yeah. they're still going to have that. Yeah. There's and no and, place for it. And it's, it's everyone's business plan, but I, you know, I can tell you I'm, I'm proud to say I work at SGS Sports. I'm proud to say I work for Body Glove. I mean, yeah. think about what the Maestro family had done. Yeah. Not until about three years ago did they finally sell their brand. It, it was a brand that had several generations all the way from Bob and Bill to their kids to their grandchildren running this brand yeah and as dysfunctional as it was at times I say that out of nothing but love it was the best yeah. things got done and the guys marquee brands that took over they're super nice too and, yeah. and Peter who's running it over there has nothing but the best intentions in it yeah. but as we've learned once you've gone somewhere you can't go back yeah yeah so that's my day-to-day job and building the revolution is my dream yeah it's yeah. what i would like to do and it's going to be no bigger than a family business yeah yeah you know so cool. what is it um what do you, are you you're making t-shirts you're making hats so here's the funny thing <clears throat> it was just oh so going back to i had no one designing stuff i have no graphic design but i said i better figure this out so just you know building the revolutions five-year anniversary is coming up may 3rd Congrats. i have put out a post thank you i out, outdid the practice um, uh, I have come up with a, a new post almost every day for the last five years. I've recycled a couple and I've been yeah. inspired by a couple memes. I'm not a creative genius. Yeah. I, have, I have designed every single, not every single, I've designed a majority of those Instagram posts in Excel. I may not be good at graphic design, but I'm pretty good at Excel. Yeah. I designed all those posts in Excel convert them to PDFs, then screenshot them, and then that's what you see on Building the Revolution. Hey, you know, it's it's amazing what you can do in Excel. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I personally, I love my style. Um, but so I've come up with a new post every day, and that's what it was. It was, it was just saying thanks and reminding people. I learned early on, too, being negative on social media doesn't help. Yeah, no. I was taking pictures of people in Costco because you get a rise out of it, but it's not a long-lasting plan. Yeah. But a long-lasting plan is, is reminding people there are surf shops that depend on your business. Mm-hmm. Life is a balance. When mm-hmm. my kids were babies, I didn't go to the specialty diaper store and buy diapers. We bought them at Costco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have no problem saying that. But when I want to buy a surf product, yeah. you better believe I walk myself into a surf shop and I buy a surf product. Yeah. A lot of times, I mean, I've walked into surf shops and people would be like, let me give you a shirt. I'm like, let me buy it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I've gotten free shirts. Yeah, of course, but... But I want to buy it. Yeah. When I buy my kids' t-shirts, I go to surf shops, I buy them Kate and Surf shop, uh, Kate and shirts, and I'm just like everybody else. If there's a special... Huntington Surf and Sport did a deal a couple years ago on kids' clothing. Better believe I walked out of there with three HSS t-shirts. <clears throat> yeah. My my uh, five-year-old wears them now, and he wears them with pride. Yeah. <clears throat> You know, but, they're, they're almost like your, your, your surfer destination shirt. You know, like you're so stoked that you visit that shop. And, you know, like I, I got one of my kids, a skate shop out of Arizona, Freedom Board Shop. Great shop. Little, yeah. And my kid wears it. And it's just like, it just, that's so cool. Yeah. You know, it ties back to the relationship I have with them and stuff. And, they, you know, they hooked me up with it, but I would have bought it. Thanks, you guys. 
but um, it, it gives you that kind of connection. You know, I've been there. It's a it's a destination shirt for for surfers or skaters or whatever you know type of shop. You're well, that in. that makes me laugh too because <clears throat> when you go to a surf shop or any specialty retailer, you get to know the people behind the counter. Yeah, they're part of they're they're part of your community, and everybody's like, I can get a better deal on Amazon. Really, I don't know because when I went to Surfside Sports to buy my wife her gift, she wanted a pair of UGG boots. She has been dying for a pair of UGG boots. UGG boots have changed since I was in junior yeah, high. Yeah, there's 19,000 pairs that you could choose from. <laughs> and she wanted a $200 pair of UGG boots. Yeah. I could have gone and bought them online, but I said, I'm going to look for a surf shop that carries UGG boots, which isn't very easy nowadays. Surfside Sports have them. I've known Ruta, who uh, is their skate buyer and runs yeah, uh, their yeah. store, since when I worked at Nitro Records, he was a Nitro-sponsored athlete. Oh, wow. That's how long I've known Ruta. He would do the Warp Tour wearing Nitro Records t-shirts. He gave me a deal. Yeah. So I got a deal. Yeah. And I got, and people say they shop online because they want instant gratification. I walked out of the store with the boots. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you develop relationships with those local retailers and you're in there all the time supporting them, they're more and more likely to, you know, know you by name, have that connection, and, and they're going to throw you a get, discount. Get a loyal customer loyal, discount. I mean, that's, yeah, that's how it works. And, you know, that's what we do on the show is highlight yeah. what surf shops mean to the culture and the community. Yeah, right. the relationships, the community, the history. I mean, for yeah. us, it's our livelihood, like Ruta, too. You know, just right. like Ruta, you know, you know Ruta yeah. from prior Building a Revolution, but he's a father of... Two, Two kids, yeah. Yeah. And how many other people does Surfside, Sport, Surfside Sports employs, right? In the community. Right. And not only that, I mean, take... Not only how many people do they employ in the community, their tax dollars go back in the community. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So if you think about where... You, if you buy something on Amazon, that doesn't go here. That doesn't no. go here. And if you want to have a, an impact on... Um, you're, you're worried about your global... Yeah, I'm sorry, your, your, your footprint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That means another box has to be packed. Another thing has to be shipped. When you yeah. could have just probably gone down to a surf shop and, and bought, bought it. Yeah. There's some people, yeah, maybe they're not educated on the fact that they could have got that out of the surf shop. And that's what I wanted Building the Revolution to be. I, got, I don't want to slam people. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've called a couple people out. You know, one guy that had a, or one brand that had a shirt that said support your local surf shop. And they were selling it direct online. To me, when I say support your local surf shop, there's value in the words. I make a couple hats and shirts right now and I don't sell them online. I had a friend ask me for two years. My best friend for two years asked me for a hat. I finally gave him one on his birthday. <laughs> I, would, I told him, go to Caton and buy one. Because yeah. that's, that's what they need. And uh, so some people don't realize that you could get a tail pad at a surf shop. Believe it or not, there's some people that might not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Look at Amazon and Zappos shoppers. They're usually moms. Yep. That's their biggest customer that shops online. I think sometimes they just need a Hey, by the way, you know that shop right down the street? They have they have that. Yeah, and it's still convenient. Yeah, you know, I had a go neighbor there when the kids yeah. go to school. Right, or take your kids. Take I had a yeah. I had a neighbor down the street ask me, I, I want to get a skateboard for my son. What should I do? I can get one online, and I said, take him to Furnace, and let him pick it out, and give him that experience, and mm-hmm. let him, the guys at the skate shop are going to be cool to him, yeah. Yeah. and he's going to feel part of what's going on, and he's yeah. going to love skateboarding even more. Than if you just give them a random skateboard. Yeah, they're the professional sales salesman right, right now. The owner, everybody in there, that's what they, they've been doing their entire life. Yeah. They know what's selling every day. They know the hot brands. They know the trends. They know what kids their age like as far as graphic and color. They're going to have the best selection, you know, pretty much at anybody. Maybe online might, but 
you're not going to get that connection like you're saying. Yeah. So, so that's what building the revolution, the main goal is to do is to remind people to support their local surf shop. Yeah. Again, life's a balance. I'm not asking you to go to a surf shop and try to find uh, the latest pair of Levi's. I'm saying if you're buying surf brands, there's people that rely on that and your community relies on that because that's where the tax dollars go. Yeah. And that's what, you know, they're also donating to your local, you know, baseball Schools. team or school. Yeah. I mean, those are the fabric of your community. Yeah. Um, the funny thing though is, uh, I, I'm not gonna mention the name, but I was in Hawaii one time with another retailer. Um, and he's like, Mike, if you made hats, I'd buy them right now. I'd give you cash. I would do it. I would, oh, should I do it? You know, I never, I never, I never really thought surf shops need another clothing brand. If you bought, if you made hats, I would get surf shops all around would give you cash. I'm like, all right, man, I'll, I'll think about it. And then, um, I was talking to Dickie at spider and he, when he found out it was me, oh man, I'm psyched, dude, seriously, make some hats. I will give you cash. I said, really? I will have a check ready for you when you drop them off. I will order 24 hats right now. I said, I better do this. I got one shop telling me he'll give me yeah. cash. I got another shop. I got, we all have friends that are screeners. I know I can order a minimum of 48 hats. I made a hat. Dickie goes, make it. I'll buy it. Here's my order for 24. The first shop who told me still to this day hasn't ordered. <laughs> Dickie? Was, yeah. No, no, no. Up, no, 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 no. Dickie was waiting with a check in hand and said, thank you so much. Oh, oh the original The other guy. shop, the guy I didn't mention, still hasn't ordered hats. That's and then awesome. Dickie said, I'm so psyched on what you're doing. They put Building the Revolution up on their website. Made me, didn't even, didn't even like, yeah. made me one of their, um, uh, why am I forgetting? One of Dickie's their, one of their windows. Dickie, you got to get on the show soon. Dick, yeah, Dick would be bro. a great yeah. guy to have on the show. But after you turn in my uh, Ruka order. <laughs> and, and I don't know. Oh, and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, um, make shirts. He was the same guy. Dickie said, make yeah. shirts. I'll order shirts and give you cash on the site. Yeah. Here's 24 t-shirt order. And that's, that's another, you know, reason to, you know, I guess, you know, you have that relationship with these guys. They want to support you. They know, you know, what what you know the background of what you're building yeah they know you have a family and stuff and it just kind of like make like they want to support you so yeah. it's like come on and make honestly, some stuff to make us we're, we're all in the same business yeah right? and we want our retailers to prosper right absolutely our surf shops i mean we want somebody to ring the register be it ruka be it outer known be it building the revolution be it quicksilver and be it billabong i mean yeah we want all surf brands, ultimately, we want the surf shops to be able to sell. Yeah. We want surfing and, and be around, to boom. You know, not just because of selling, but because that's what keeps it all yeah. relevant right. and, you know, tells the story. Right? If, if the surf shops aren't succeeding, we're not succeeding. Oh, man. And again, I work with reps all the time. Excuse me. And I... I don't, I think for the last five years, because unfortunately there's, I feel there's been a decline in rep service. Maybe not in our area, because we're in the, we no. can, we can hit 20 shops in a, in a yeah. day, because we're in Orange County. But I tell them all the time, don't become an order taker. Be a rep, provide a service. Take the, take the job off of the buyer's hands. Yeah. Go in the store, already check out your section, already make a suggestion. Yeah. Don't just show up when you want an order and ask for one. Yeah. And I hear it all the time. I mean, especially when you leave Orange County and you get into NorCal. Oh, I only I only hear from that guy when he wants an order. That's why you have guys like you guys. You've been doing this for a long time. Benny Bigler, great rep. 
There's a reason why Quicksilver went after him. He's an amazing rep, and he does a great job. Yeah, um, he provides a service, and it's not an order taker. Right. He's yeah. a, provide, if you're a rep and you want to get into the industry, provide a service. Those guys at the stores have so much going on. Don't yeah. walk up and just ask for an order. Look at your section. Make suggestions. Look at how things are selling and let them know what's selling well, what's selling yeah. poorly, and how you can fix it. The more you can take the work out of the business, the more you manage your business where for them, the easier it is. Well, it's a win-win. You know, yeah. it's like you you're, you're giving them, you know, taking the workload off of them, but you're also giving them a different perspective of like bringing it to their attention. Like, hey, I didn't realize I was out of that. I'm worried about these other twenty problems or right. other issues, and yeah. you know, I got you know, a lot on their plate. But you know, ultimately. You want them to sell your product, yep. but you also want them to be healthy within the whole the whole shop. You want the whole shop to be healthy, not just one brand. Right. One brand is not going to keep them in business. So we need, yeah, we need the surf industry to blow up. <laughs> Come on, you guys. Come on. Got to make the surf industry special yeah. again. Yeah. We, All right. So we're at hour and twenty three seconds. That's right. Twenty three minutes. I think, we got a lot more to talk about. Should we do okay. a part two? Or you know what? Let me uh I think we should do a part two. Yeah. Um but yeah. before we do that, let me uh say what's up girls? Hello. Meet Mike. Hi. Hello, nice to meet you. Nice to meet this you. This is too. Emery. Hi Emery. Hi, I'm Norma. Norma. Hi, Norma. Nice Hi, to meet you. Hi, you guys are being recorded right now. Hi. How are you? Making you famous. That's my older daughter Eve. Nice Eve. You say Hi to building the revolution. Hi. And look at this. Your your youngest daughter just walked in with a Hanson Surfboards t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Talking about supporting. She has a California Love Billabong shirt. Talk about supporting the, the surf industry. industry and surf shops. Yeah. We, we were just talking about how how <laughs> surf shops support families. And here's a prime example. Live. Hey, this is our life, man. So I think, uh, well, what? We should do a round two. Well, yeah, I think we got a lot of other stuff to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, more more surf. Let's, let's more surf talk. <laughs> more but, more building the revolution talk. Right, and I think uh, we wanted to make sure that everyone knew your Instagram handle. Instagram is just uh, at building underscore the underscore revolution. Okay. Um, and yeah, man, you know, support your local surf shop. Yeah. Keep surfing in the hands of surfers. Yes. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thanks for having Mike, me. Mike, Mike, oh, wait. Mike. Your, your uh, five-year anniversary coming up? May 3rd will be five years uh, since I started the Building the Revolution um, Instagram handle. Um, we're just at 6,800 followers right now. Sweet. So Sweet. I, I did have, I set out a personal goal of... 6,803. 6,803. <laughs> I set out a personal goal to have 10,000 and then I felt like I made it. So, and, uh, you know, just to go back to it, we're still really just an Instagram and a message. I only make one hat, one shirt, and uh, one sticker that you can only buy at, at surf shops. shops. And, you know, some things we can talk about next time. I look at things that, like, Supreme has done mm -hmm. and how they've built the demand for Supreme mm -hmm. and how people line up at their stores to buy limited releases. I, I would love to see a future at surf shops when people are lining up to buy something special again. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. And, and our stuff, if you know, if you are looking at building the revolution products, you can only buy it at a surf shop. So don't DM me and ask me to sell you a sticker. I won't do it. I will I will direct you to your local surf shop if they have it. And I keep the stuff really limited. Um, 
all surf shops so far that have gotten product, they, they prepay. Yeah. You know, I kind of took the scion approach on that. If you want this, you're going to pay for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but That's why all small businesses need to have. Yeah. You kind of make smart up. choices. That's yeah. why I've been here for five years. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm led by passion and not dollars. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Mike. It's, it was uh, awesome to learn about you and building a revolution. Keep doing what you're doing, and uh, we'll do this again soon. Cool. Yes. Thanks, bud. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music. 